You're listening to Bob Washusen on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Bob Washusen Show on 98.7 ESPN. I got fish music. I got my own intro. It's amazing. The, the fact that they just asked the voice of God to do an intro for me makes me feel special. Bob Washusen in for the guys at 800-919-3776. 800-919-ESPN. After a marathon Yankee game last night up until the wee hours, if you stayed up to watch it, in a silo, it was an exciting game, but I guess my question to Yankee fans to kick off today's show are, are you buying it? Are you buying it? Are you buying what you're seeing? There's a glass half full, glass half empty argument to be made with the Yankees right now. And I want to take your telephone calls. we got some open lines, so give me a buzz and tell me. We'll get to the Mets coming up. We also have Jordan Ron on to talk about the Giants at the bottom of the hour. Bottom of the next hour, we're going to go to Jet Camp, talk to Rich Samini. So we're going to check in at both football camps today with the guys that are there every day watching practice for 98.7 ESPN and ESPN as well. We'll check in with both of those guys. We'll get your football calls up if you'd like as well at 800-919-3776, 800-919-ESPN. I know normally in this time slot's a national show, and you're used to the triple eight say ESPN number. It changes for this show because now we're just on 98.7, so that's why the 1-800-919-3776, 1-800-919-ESPN. All right. This is the perspective I'm trying to keep with the Yankees. You want to be as positive as you possibly can about the run that they're on. You can only play who's in front of you. They are banged up. They're missing a lot of guys that are key pieces. And they are, what, 21-9 and in their last 30 games? That loss to the Red Sox back in the middle of last month, that three out of four that the Red Sox took, that's the last time the Yankees lost a series. Right? They keep on winning series after series after series. They have gotten themselves right back in the mix in a place that I'm not sure a month ago any of us ever thought they would be. So there is a lot to feel good about just from a win-loss perspective. Right, They are right there knocking on the door to win a wild card spot. They're back in the conversation for the AL East. Right, This is not impossible that now, and they have enough AL East games left with the teams in front of them, and even the Blue Jays right behind them, to, I think, make a, a, a legitimate run, potentially, if they keep it going, at being an incredibly unlikely division winner. So all of that is positive. They are finding ways to win games. That pitcher they had on the mound last night has been spectacular, right? Jamison Tyon, I know there were some Yankee fans, and I saw it on Twitter, upset when they took him out because his pitch count was still relatively low. He was largely untouchable over six innings against a bad team. He gives up one hit in the seventh, and they go to get him? Okay, I understand why you're upset with that, but also understand that there was a formula this season that teams were taking with guys that barely pitched last year. And most guys barely pitched last year, right? I mean, they had a 60-game season, and Jamison Tyon, I mean, he didn't even pitch. So it's been two years since he has pitched. Domingo Harmon in the same boat. Um, you know, the Mets obviously have guys on that list as well. And it is, it's kind of been the formula that they think these guys have an innings ceiling, that they're not going to go above, say, 140 to 160 innings. And I'm sure that number moves a little bit during the season with how good these guys have been, how they look, how they're working out, how their arm, shoulder, whatever, is responding to a very, you know, all of a sudden increased regimen because now we're in a regular baseball season. So if you're looking at how important you think Tyon is going to be to the Yankees between now 
and the postseason, and if they get to the postseason, then you're always weighing that in in terms of the game he's pitching right in front of you, right? And do you want to go, you know, away from a guy who has been untouchable and roll the dice, and then the bullpen goes out there and blows it in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and of course that then leads to nothing but second guessing off the first guess. I get that. I do understand, especially when they watch what happened with Kluber, why they are going to try and walk that very fine line of milking everything you possibly can out of a tie-on now, knowing that you kind of have this, you know, innings limit floating out there that you don't want to go over, but you also want to try and manage him all the way through the rest of the season so that if you get to where you're trying to go, he still has some gas in the tank. He still has something in his right arm because you need that. right? Like, I mean, Who could picture right now the Yankees making any kind of a postseason run and Tyon not being a part of it? It would be impossible to picture that. right? He's, he's been, the, other than Garrett Cole, the best they've had. So... I do understand why they did what they did last night. I understand why Boone is still trying to manage these games the way he's managing them. And you should be able to trust three different levers with three different one-run leads without having to toy with the circus that is extra innings with a guy on second base and all of that. But this is still against a bad opponent. And to me, the glass half full, everything I just ran down, right? Tyon's been great. They're suffering tons of injuries. It's been a month since they lost a series. They are finding ways to scratch out wins. And last night, they scratched out a win, responding time and time again on the road to a team kind of scrapping out, come from behind, tying scenarios against them. The glass half empty. And I'm wondering how many Yankee fans agree with this. And give me a call and tell me at 800-919-3776, 800-919-ESPN. Have you seen anything over this stretch against teams now like Kansas City or Seattle or Miami or Baltimore that leads you to believe that when the top, the competition, and it's not too far off of the distance, later on this week, it's going to get tougher against a team like the White Sox. They've got a West Coast trip coming up in a week and a half. They're going to play teams that they are going nose-to-nose with, like Oakland for the wild card in their place. West Coast trips are tough. Uh, in the era of COVID, they're even harder. Have you seen anything against these lousy teams that they have been beating in these series over the last couple of weeks to lead you to believe that when the competition starts to get bigger and better and tougher and deeper and the pitching gets tougher and deeper and higher quality that you think this is going to continue. I don't. I think there's a big argument you can make that this is fool's gold because they are still like a game last night against a lousy team, a really good pitcher. Hernandez was good last night, but against a lousy team, when you know every single win is so important. The Yankees have no margin for error. When they've used up any kind of cushion they have to have a losing streak. You have one losing streak, one, you know, lose seven out of eight or something, and you might bury yourself so deep that we don't hear from you again. right? So the, any of that collateral, they've used up to this point in the season. So against a lousy team last night, six innings, they can't get a run. And I get there are important bats right now that aren't there, right? I mean, the only guy that I can think of that was even producing of the guys that aren't there is Rizzo. But Rizzo was kind of balanced out by the night that Voight had last night, 
right? If Rizzo was healthy, Voight probably wouldn't have been in the lineup last night or maybe would have been in the DH. I don't know. He may not have had that game he had last night. So if you kind of look through the perspective of even the guys that are out, what they were doing offensively before they went on the COVID list or before they went on the DL like like Labor Torres, they weren't ripping off the ripping the cover off the ball and scoring any runs even when they were healthy. So that's why I'm wondering, and, and with the guys last night in the heart of your lineup, like a Giancarlo Stanton still producing nothing, why am I believing that what I'm seeing right now is going to translate to wins against better competition down the road? Right? Like, if they were going out and they were what they did to the Orioles on back-to-back nights, you know, in a 12-1, 13-1, I guess maybe I would believe more. But the fact that they are in a 11-inning, blow-four-leads death struggle with a team like Kansas City and the biggest of their big bats, the regular guys in their lineup, you know, certainly Stanton right in the middle of the lineup as a necessary run producer. I mean, having arguments with people when I hosted the show yesterday, why am I killing Giancarlo Stanton? He's really coming around because he's had a bunch of singles over the past couple of weeks. They need more than that. I mean, they need the ball off the wall or over the wall with the power hitters in the middle of their lineup. And of all people, the person that gave them that last night was Luke Voigt. So I, I, if I were a Yankee fan, I would want to believe that this is now the sign of things to come, that they have completely righted the ship. They are the Yankees again. They are a team that a couple of years before COVID won 100 games, it maybe it took them 100 games into this season to finally become who they are, but here they go, 20-9 and nine in their last 29 games, haven't lost a series since the middle of last month, and they're making a run to the playoffs. But if you really watch them, if it's an eye test thing, are you seeing the best players on their team playing their best? Or are they just finding a way against lousy teams to get the job done? Triple eight, or it's not triple eight. See, I usually host the national show, and I got to get used to the local show. 800-919-3776, 800-919-ESPN. And boy, if you want to talk about, now this is where it gets ridiculous to, you know, be knocking the Yankees in any way for the wins that they're, you know, creating because they're winning, right? You switch quickly gears to the Mets before I get to the phones. And I mean, the Mets right now would be happy if they beat, you know, like a New Jersey Little League team. The Mets play three games against the Washington Nationals. You know, the the one of only two teams behind them now in their division where, like, you know, it, it's almost as if they only win two out of the next three. It's not enough because of what looms over the next couple of weeks. Right? They got 13 games coming up against the two best teams in baseball, arguably, over the two weeks after these next three. The Mets are desperate for Carrasco to go out there tonight and for their bats to find themselves again and have at least two, if not three, put them in your back pocket wins over Washington before they embark on the next two weeks. Because, like I said yesterday, sports talk radio is not a great format, not a great medium to keep perspective about baseball, right? Like football, every game's Armageddon, every game's a huge event. It's perfect for sports talk radio because we can blow it completely out of proportion. Baseball's great because it gives us something to talk about every single day. 
All right, you're doing a talk show. Last night I got the Yankees. Tonight I got the Mets. I got something to talk about every single day. But because we talk about it every single day, we have a tendency to completely overblow the importance of individual games, individual moments, even, say, a, a win or a loss in one series. For the Mets, to me, that's not the case. I don't know how we could possibly right now not realize this is the moment. Draw a line right now. This is the crucible moment in their season. They must get at least two out of three, if not all three against Washington, before what they've got looming over the next couple of weeks. And this is, to me, this is a football argument you're making about the Mets right now. That's how important these games are. That's how important this series is. That's how important the next two weeks are. There are moments where you realize it's arrived. Right, Like the moment that we are absolutely allowed to completely blow out of proportion where a baseball team has arrived on Sports Talk Radio, it has now arrived for the Mets, and it begins tonight. Because watching how they've played over the last two or three weeks, watching where they have, I mean, snap your fingers into one weekend, they go from first to third. And now what's looming over the next couple of weeks, it better happen. And it better happen right now. 800-919-3776. espn is the telephone number. Bob Wachuz in, in until 2. DCR will have the Michael K. Show then. Again, we've got football coming up. Bottom of the hour, Jordan Ronan will join us from Giant Camp. Bottom of the next hour, Rich Samini will join us from Jets Camp. So let's get some baseball calls in now and kick the show off that way. Got some open lines, and Nick in Babylon will get us started on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Nick. Hello, Nick. Nick, your time has arrived. Going once, going twice. All right, Nick, you're going to have to give us a call back because uh, obviously either you're not hearing me, but I certainly can't hear you. I can hear something. There was was some kind of a connection, but uh, Ernie in the Bronx instead will join us next here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Ernie. Hey, how you doing? Thank you for taking my call. You got it. Appreciate it. Just wanted to say I think I kind of agree with you on the glass is half full thing. We're beating these teams that are below 500. All right. Well, Ernie agrees with me, and we now agree that Ernie needs a new cell phone. So we are 0 for 2 as the calls kick off here on 98.7 ESPN. Nick was in La La Land, and Ernie needs to uh, re-up his cell phone contract. 800-919-3776. Get me help. 800-919-ESPN. Anthony, is this a problem on our end, or is this a problem where, like, we we got to, like, alert the uh, the cell phone companies that they're not getting the job done? Well, it seems to me like I could hear them fine. All right. And they're being screened. Okay. And then just something, there's just a lost in translation once they're once they're on hold. It's very so it's troubling. me. It's me, is what you're saying. I lost in translation? That. No, you sure it's not me? No, no. I mean, I annoy myself. I know I annoy most of the people when I'm talking to them in person, so I can under- certainly understand why when someone gets on the phone with me, the annoyance might actually technologically manifest itself oh, God. and kick themselves. Yeah, I, I, you know, that would certainly be the way I would feel. All right, let's try Owen in Brooklyn. Maybe he's on a landline, and we'll get lucky. Owen, you're up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Well, how you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. And I'm actually using my cell phone, so I'm not, oh, not on We're going to keep our fingers crossed, <laughs> Owen. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you so much. But I want to talk about the Yankees real quick um, and, and their winning streak. So I, I've, not, I've been a diehard Yankee fan for both of my life. And, um, you know, you mentioned something about blowing, uh, you know, football out of proportion because it's one game a week. But baseball could be blown out of proportion, you know, more exaggerated because, you know, it's a lot more games. But uh, with the Yankees, I remember a couple of months ago when they were not doing very well. 
a lot of analysts, a lot of people were saying that Yankees are out of it, what's wrong with the Yankees, and now they're winning the games that they're supposed to be winning, yep. but it seems like it's not good enough. So I, I'm, not, I'm not understanding why they're winning now, but and then how they're winning is not good enough. Like, I was happy we won the game last night, but people are saying, oh, but it wasn't good enough. So what's up with that? I think that's fair. I think what you're saying is fair. I guess my question is, when you think about how this team was playing two or three weeks ago, and they were uh, you know, just kind of getting started on this run of winning series, I should say maybe more like five or six weeks ago, when they were still kind of floundering, a lot of the big bats in the middle of the lineup weren't producing, and I still certainly see a couple of guys turning things around. Like LeMahieu getting some hits lately I think is very, very encouraging. The, the, I think the problem or, or one of the really discouraging things about Glaber Torres' injury was since the All-Star break, he was just starting to look like Glaber Torres again. But they still have guys dead in the middle of their lineup. Stanton certainly is leading the list to me that I, I am not seeing – what I need to see out of Giancarlo Stanton from a power-hitting, run-producing standpoint to convince me that when the pitching gets better and the competition gets better, all these dink-and-dunk singles games he's having, to me, that like that doesn't make me think that they're not going to go back to being the team that was kind of floundering around 500 when the competition elevates. And I'm wondering if it, maybe that's not fair. Maybe that's not fair. You know, you can only beat who's in front of you. And the point is, every single day, find a way to win the game that's in front of you. They're doing that right now. Let's get to John and Union joins us next here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, John. Bob, Bob, good afternoon. How are you? Doing great. Great. Yeah, it's uh, Union Catholic, by the way. All right. I love it. What's happening? <laughs> there you go. Because I had the opportunity to listen to you yesterday and looking at the baseball season from the wide lens, as you called it, Totally agree. Um, back in June when we were leaving school, I told a fellow uh, teachers and my son, avid Met fans, the month of August is our season. Even if we have the Grom, if you looked at that August schedule, going against the Phillies, now you, first you go down to uh, Florida with the Marlins, and we're what? Three and six against the Marlins this year, which is horrendous. We never beat them. Then you go to Philly. Now you go to the Nationals, and they have the West Coast swing. The season lies right now in August, and I saw it. Even if we have the Grom, you still make or break right now. Yeah, and if come out, dead in the world. Yeah, and I think that this roster is in a position right now where the whole season and their future – is kind of in an if-not-now-when mode, right? Like, there was this idea, and I got, you know, people talking about the price that they could have play, paid for Barrios. They weren't ready to pay that price. Max Scherzer was never coming to New York. He was going to the Dodgers. Look, they didn't get Chris Bryant. They settled for Javi Baez. I do think if you don't Chris, get Chris Bryant, you are settling for Javi Baez. Because between the two of them, I thought Bryant fit what they needed much better. And I think he's just a better overall player and is, is much more of – what they wanted or what they needed, and maybe they weren't wet, you know, ready to pay that price. But it always seems like there is this constant undercurrent of the price is too high, wait till next year, we're almost there, we're almost on the verge of building something special, and how many seasons of DeGrom being DeGrom, and how deep into the careers of McNeil and Alonzo and Conforto, and now Lindor. How deep into their careers do you have to be before it's finally time 
to pay the price that's necessary to take advantage of the fact that these guys are in the heart of their careers, the prime of their careers. Alonzo of that group probably has the most years left out in front of them. I don't know what they're going to do with Michael Conforto. Maybe Michael Conforto is going to sign a, you know, kind of a one-year tender offer and bet on himself next year because how could he possibly hope to get paid off of the season he's having right now? unless he just flips a switch and becomes an all-star for the last third of the season. But having said that, the core of this team, what we were led to believe, certainly coming into this year, and when you go out and bring in a Lindor and bring in Carrasco, I mean, those are supposed to be the, hey, we feel like we're a player or two away kind of moves to being special. People were picking the Mets were like the sexiest pick of anyone to be in the World Series at the start of this season. And then DeGrom goes out and does what he does. And after all is said and done, where were you? You were a house of cards. For a month, I was saying the Mets were a house of cards before what we've seen happen over the last week or two. So I feel like I saw it coming, and I don't feel like they reacted enough to it before the season started and certainly didn't react enough to it at the All-Star, at the trade deadline. Nick in Babylon, we're going to try it again here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Nick. Yeah, how you doing, Bob? Good. Hey, Bob, Bob. Yankees have, you know, they have 20 guys on the I.L. Yep. You're aware of that, right? Yes. And um, they're still winning. They're still winning. Series after series, they're winning. And it's driving Met haters, Yankee haters like you out of your mind. <laughs> Why do you think you I hate the Yankees? Alive. <laughs> it's so obvious you do. I said, I talked to you about this the other morning. You're a Yankee hater. They're winning, and it's driving you nuts. So if I give my honest opinion, and it's not that every single thing that anybody does in pinstripes, the best thing I've ever seen, I'm a Yankee hater? I'm a Yankee hater to say that Giancarlo Stanton has had a good year? Uh, he's only hitting singles, so so we got to knock him. You know, they're only well. Yes, if Giancarlo Stanton is only hitting guys. singles, he is not doing what they got. It's he is not doing what they got him to do. Less, they got less than half their team is active, and they're still winning. And you can't deal with it. Well, here's my question, Nick: Of the guys that are inactive, which ones were tearing the, the cover off the ball when they got hurt? The Yankees are on Nick, answer my question. Of the guys that are not active, Nick, answer my question. Of the guys that are not active, which ones were tearing the cover off the ball before they got hurt? How about Rizzo? You like Rizzo at all? Oh, I mean, he was here for a week. I'm saying that the guys that have been here. And by the way, and, and, Nick, and Nick, let me ask you this. If Rizzo were healthy, who probably wouldn't have been in the lineup last night? Luke Voigt. So they There's got they one. got last somebody, night what they would have gotten out of somebody, first base one way or the other. Somebody would have somebody would have came up big because that's what they do. I got you. So somebody always gotta, comes up big for the Yankees. Okay, it. that's fine. That's if you want to believe the guy, the call. if you want if you want to believe that someone always comes up big for the Yankees, that's fine. I guess I'd have to have the first like ninety to ninety five games of the season explained to me then, because I watched them for the first ninety five games of the season, and I didn't see somebody coming up big for the Yankees every single night. We saw a team that many people had dead and buried. Now I a hundred. They deserve credit for how they're playing right now, which I've already said. They deserve to be applauded for the fact that they keep on winning series, which I already said. Neither of those things a Yankee-hating statement. What I think is fair to say, though, is they are doing this against competition that is way below their talent level. I mean, there shouldn't be a question as to whether or not the Yankees are going to win series against Baltimore or the Marlins or Seattle or Kansas City. Those should be givens. 
The question is, as the season moves on, are they going to keep winning series when they play the Red Sox again? When they go out west to play Oakland again? When they play Tampa again? When they play Toronto? Right? I mean, those are the teams they're going to have to beat to make sure they're in the playoffs. And I think they're going to be a wild card team. I do. I think they will continue to play well enough. I don't think they're going to win the division. I do think they'll be a wild card team. But having said all that, if you think I'm supposed to look at the Yankees through pinstriped colored glasses and say everything is great, they're awesome, every single thing that a guy in pinstripes does is, you know, the, the, the greatest thing I've ever seen on a diamond, just because they're beating the Mariners and the Orioles, I'm not saying that. Because that's not reality. You're listening to Bob Washusen on 98.7 ESPN. Being a radio producer is funny. I, I start off my career as a radio producer. You feel some weird calls in that studio, man. Right, right now, Anthony, are you customer service? For ESPN, what what's the problem? What calls are you? Getting? Yeah, apparently I have I have all I get to push all the buttons. Uh, yeah. someone was looking for a refund on their ESPN Plus subscription, which oh, I don't well, know why. Obviously, they got a call. Well, first of all, great service, and you can yes. bundle it with Disney. Uh, with and Disney all Plus the hockey Hulu. games this year, by the way, the all hockey the hockey games. games this year are going to be on ESPN Plus. All of them, not just the games we do. Every game. Not so sure about those announcers, but you know, anyway, uh, dicey th- choices. Dicey I agree. Choices, dicey yep. choices, but. Um, you know, ESPN Plus, great subscription, but for some reason, I don't know what people look up, but if you look up ESPN <laughs> customer service, our call-in number right. uh, comes up, and it's fantastic, but, you know, I feel bad for these people because they're looking to get an actual answer on, on what's going on with their service, and I, I can't provide that. I can you know provide I'll give you a, great content, though. I'll like, give you a funny story back in my producing days. This is like, you know, 25, 30 years ago. My first job out of college was in Miami. So I'm working at the All Sports Radio Station. I think they've got three of them down there now, but this was the only one at the time. And we're sitting back in the bullpen. I was before whatever show that I was producing was going to start, and the phone rings. And you're sitting there, and so it's me and three or four guys. I pick it up. It was WQAM's name of the radio station. I say, WQAM, hello. The guy's on the phone. This is a true story. The guy's on the phone. He goes, all right, listen, uh, do you guys know anything about Dolphins tickets? I said, really? well, I mean, we're the all-sports radio station. I know something about Dolphin tickets, but, like, what do you want to know? It's like, well, I got two tickets, and I got a buddy, and, like, I don't like them. We just got into a big fight. I don't want to go with them anymore. I don't want to sit next to them. But we split the tickets. So, like, what can I do about that? I'm like, all right, hang on a minute. So I put the guy, put the guy on halt, and I turned to the four or five guys we're sitting with, and I say, I tell him the story. And, of course, we're laughing. And one guy's like, he realizes this isn't the Dolphins ticket office. So I was like, all right, hang on a second. Pick the back up off hold. I said, sir, you called the All Sports Radio Station. By the way, we're not even the Dolphins station. I think they're the Dolphins station now. But at the time, <laughs> we didn't even carry the Dolphin games. We were just the All Sports Radio Station. And he called the business line, like the office line. He didn't call the on-air line. I'm picking this up on a business phone. So I said, you realize you called the all-sports radio station, right? Like, we're, we don't have anything to do. Yeah, but, I mean, you guys are sports and tickets. and uh, Like, I would figure you'd know. All right, hang on a minute. I put him back on hold. So I tell them, I said, he actually knows he didn't call the Dolphin ticket office. He just figured we would know. So one guy was like, one of the guys in the, the bullpen that I'm working with said, well, you should really just give him the number to the Dolphins ticket office. And maybe have them figure out how to separate him and his buddy that he doesn't like anymore. Why would he call us? So I thought about it for a second. I was like, you know what? Let's have some more fun. with. I mean, this would be a way more fun way to handle it than just giving him the Dolphins ticket office line. So I picked the phone back up. And I said, sir, you're good. And he goes, really? I said, yeah. Took care of it. 
You guys are split up. Don't worry about it. You can sit at your opposite sides of the stadium. You'll never see the guy again. And I hung the phone up. He was all happy. My only regret is I didn't take down his seat location. Right? Like, I should have taken his seat location down so I could have snuck, like, into the upper deck first game, been three or four rows behind where him and his buddy sit, so that way when he came up the aisle <laughs> and still saw the guy sitting there, I mean, hopefully it was a reunion. Hopefully they mended fences, they realized, all right, you're a jerk, but I have to sit next to you, let's be friends again, and they got over whatever it is they were fighting about. But to me, I feel like I, you almost deserve it, right? If you're dumb enough to call the sports radio station, like, Anthony, the next time somebody says, you know, how do I get refunded for something from ESPN, put them on hold, let them sit there for a minute, minute or two, and then pick the phone back up and tell them they're all good. Like, it's been refunded. It. Don't worry about it. You're done. I know we say we're sports therapy sometimes. I don't, I don't know if that's... Mending fences of relationships with your season ticket holder, buddy. I, I have not. no idea. The guy might have, the, the two of them might have thrown down. Like, I don't know if they mended fences. They that might have gotten into a fist too. fight when they saw each other. I didn't, that, again, that was my only regret was I should have gotten their seat location so I could have been sitting there and watched the guy come up the aisle or whichever guy came up second to realize that all of a sudden he's still sitting next to his buddy. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, to me, it was almost like he kind of deserved to be told he was good for calling us in the first place. And yeah, so that's what I think you should do. Anytime that somebody calls up, uh, looking for, you know, like a refund for something, or just tell them they're fine. I love this You're funded. You're all set. It's on us. Tremendous. <laughs> You're listening to Bob Weshusen on 98.7 ESPN. There is no chance that Saquon Barkley should touch a football with a live person hitting him until week one of the regular season minimum. He should not be grazed on the shoulder pad or touched on his knee until the season starts. It's Bob Weshusen here on 98.7 ESPN here until 2 o'clock. Rich Samini, bottom of the hour to talk Jets with us from Jet Camp. Talk to Jordan Renan, bottom of the previous hour. And your telephone calls, as always, at 1-800-919-3776, 1-800-919-ESPN. Again, I touched on it with Jordan, but I'll reiterate now. If I'm the Giants... My plan for Saquon Barkley, because I saw a graphic earlier today on ESPN. I think it was on Get Up this morning. And they did the very simple graphic. Daniel Jones with Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones without Saquon Barkley. He's a below 500 quarterback without Saquon Barkley. And he was like, what, like 10 and 6 or something with Saquon Barkley. Like well above 500 with him. Not an accident. Your entire defensive mindset changes when that dude is on the field. How you deploy all your troops, the matchups you get for your skill guys, not just Saquon Barkley making plays. When he's what he can be, he's a game-changing, home-run-hitting type player. And the NFL is about that. The NFL is about finding guys that can hit home runs and making sure you get them the ball and let them go hit their home runs. And that is absolutely what Saquon Barkley is. So regardless, just outside of his own ability and the fact that he can torch anyone for a touchdown anytime he touches the ball, the attention that he draws because of that, think about the trickle-down effect. Think about now what you have to do with your safeties because you're worried about Saquon Barkley and the one-on-one matchups that the Slaytons and the Galladays and the Tonys and maybe even Evan Ingram and John Ross, all of these guys, Sterling Shepard, all of these guys can get because Saquon Barkley is on the field. All right, so it's not an accident that the quarterback plays a completely different game and is looking at a completely different defense 
when Saquon Barkley is on the field than when you don't have him. And how incredibly crushing it was last season for a developing quarterback early in the year to lose that guy. I mean, just the worst possible guy on your offense to lose. Other than maybe your rookie left tackle, who you wanted to see develop during last season. That might have been the only other guy I can think of that would be on the level for the quarterback of losing, losing Saquon Barkley. So having said that, knowing how important he is to everything schematically you want to do, he's not playing in the preseason. There's no chance. I don't care what Joe Judge says in any press conference. There is absolutely no chance I would ever put him out there in an exhibition football game or any of these joint practices where at some point somebody might be trying to make a name for themselves by bringing Saquon Barkley to the ground. I mean, he is going to do what he has to do from a mental standpoint. You know, seven on seven, uh, wearing the red jersey, running the plays just to get reacclimated with the offense, the timing down, the timing with the quarterback, and do all of his individual stuff and all of his conditioning stuff. But I'm telling you, I would not brush him across the shoulder pads with a feather until you have to, until he is on the field playing plays that count. And even then, at the start of the season, I would approach the beginning of the season with him like then it's the preseason. All right, today you're going to play a quarter, maybe a quarter and a half, and we'll sprinkle it through the game and see how you feel. But like, if I'm drawing up the giant game plan for Saquon Barkley in the first month of the season, you're going to play 20 snaps, maybe 25 snaps. You're going to touch the ball eight or ten times, and we are going to rotate you with all these other guys. Because we are not exposing you. And then we'll see week two. We'll build off week one and see how you feel. Week two a little more. Week three a little more. And then hopefully four or five weeks into the season. Then you get to the point where you're like, all right. He's obviously been hit a bunch. His knee's okay. His wind is okay. He's ready to go. And now hopefully by the time you get to like mid-October. And if you can survive those first four or five games of the season and not bury yourselves and lose all five, but if you're a two and three football team and now you've got him rolling and now you've got him up to his regular workload, now you're talking. Then to me, that you know, that's when I'm thinking like mid-October to late October, Saquon Barkley can again be a 25 touch in the game kind of a player. But not before that. And there is no chance I am putting him out there in the exhibition season. No chance. He is going to go through training camp untouched. The first time somebody is hitting him at all. I didn't even want him running into a tackling dummy. The first time he is getting hit at all is going to be week one of the regular season. If he's ready. And even then you might not push him. 800-919-3776. 800-919-ESPN. But thinking about the giant offense... And what they can be if all of these guys are healthy and on the field together. And this offensive line can hold up. I don't know that they're going to be a really good drive-blocking run offensive line. But I saw in pass protection last year some signs that hopefully they can be okay. And if they can protect the quarterback and Saquon Barkley's out there, they have a lot of guys that can win one-on-ones. A lot of them. Right? You've got 11 guys to defend. And they can have five guys out there that can all, in different matchups, win, especially if you have to commit a safety to the box because you're worried about Saquon, which naturally means you're going to get some man coverage. You're going to get like what they call man-free, which is one safety in the deep middle of the field, and everybody else manned up. 
There are guys that are going to win some one-on-one matchups. And if Daniel Jones is protected and he can find those guys, they can win those one-on-ones, this giant offense is going to score points. They could be fun to watch. Let's get to Matt in Long Island to kick off hour number two here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Matt. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. Um, My only concern with the Giants, I I mean, with the offense, I agree it's definitely going to be better. Um, My my concern, though, is with Jason Garrett, um, you know, if he's going to be able to maximize the talent that, you know, they're bringing in this year. They were still, they were 31st in points and yards last year. So, you know, like, and I'm willing to give them a bit of a pass. You know, they didn't have Saquon. The third receiver spot was a big black hole last year. But I, I still didn't see enough creativity to, for me to believe that Jason Garrett is going to be able to maximize the guys that they brought in. Well, and I can understand, I can understand your skepticism, but I guess I would ask you this. If you go back to when he had healthy offenses in Dallas, how were they? I think they were pretty good, but they were really I, I, good. there was always a, a theme to Garrett's team. There was always a theme to Garrett's team, right? So they I, didn't I got, play up to their talents. Yeah, they did, but offensively they did. Like their defense was what betrayed them almost the whole time he was there. There were very few times you look at the Cowboy offense and say, boy, they should be 20%, 30% better than they are. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott got paid hundreds, $100 million off of what he was able to become with Jason Garrett and that offense in Dallas, right? And this giant offense is totally different than last year. Look at what they've added, right? They spent all the money on Galladay. They drafted Kadarius Toney, which I still think could turn out to be one of the great trades that the Giants have ever made. There's a chance because that extra pick that they picked up from Chicago, Chicago to me, either Andy Dalton on an offense that outside Allen Robinson doesn't have too much, or if they say, Justin Fields, you know what, go make your mistakes. Go be a rookie. We may only win four or five games, but go be a rookie. Go make your mistakes and just learn the position. The Giants could end up getting a top 10 pick out of that trade and still have a player that I think could be a Swiss Army knife that you can move all over the place and really can – I mean, I called some Florida games. Kadarius Tony's dangerous. Right, I think he's a, a, got a chance to be a really good player. So if you get Saquon Barkley back and you add Ross and Galladay and Tony to Sterling Shepard, Ingram, Slayton, the guys that you've had, and even Sterling Shepard was out for how many games last year? So – I mean, you can be skeptical of Jason Garrett if you want, but when he was in Dallas, those were productive offenses when they had their guys. This year, let's see if they have their guys. Let's get to Hassan and Orange joins us next here on 98.7 ESPN. Hassan. Yes. Hassan, it's your turn. Go ahead. Hello? Hassan, the time has arrived to speak on the radio. If you want to do that now, here's your chance. Sure. Fire away. What do you have to say? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, I thought I was still uh, waiting. No, oh, yeah, I'm waiting. This is it. This is the actual uh, show. Uh, uh, Hello? Oh, man, Hassan. This is your last chance. All right, we're going to lose Hassan. He just can't catch up. John in West Orange joins us next here on 9870 ESPN. Hey, John. How you doing, Bob? What's Good. going on, man? It's What's my happening? first time talking to you. Oh, I'm glad you called. Good. So, so Bob, by your logic, Saquon Barkley should essentially have a red jersey on at camp. No Am doubt. I right? No doubt. Okay. Okay. So then, if that's true, if that's true, Bob, then you have to reconcile for me the devaluation of the running back 
in the NFL. And where does where's his logic come from that you don't pay a running back and stuff like that? If, if Saquon Barkley is as valuable to the Giants and, and probably other running backs are as valuable to young and rookie quarterbacks, where does devaluation come from? Yep, I think it's a very fair question. Here's what I would say. Saquon Barkley, when he is as good as he can be, and hopefully he comes back and he's the same player that he used to be, or if you look at any of the big-time running backs, Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon, all these guys that have now either tried to get paid, gotten paid, or had to fight for their money, it's not that they are not extraordinarily valuable when they're as good as they can be. It's that the length of time that they are as good as they can be is so much shorter compared to all the other positions. And the guys that get drafted in the first round because they've got that fifth-year option are really the ones that get screwed. Because not only do they have to, they don't have to get paid until they're five years into their career. Most of these guys, right. by the time they're eight or nine years into their career, are not the same player that they used to be. Just because there's no tread oh. left on the tire, or they've been beaten down. Okay. So that's why you see these guys so, so before then, they even hit their fourth year, if not their fifth year, hold out because they know it's not right. a quarterback that can play for 15 years and get three or four contracts. They usually have right. one bite at the apple after their rookie deal is up. Well, that's that was that was going to be my point. So then I was going to say, so then you can't blame him when he holds out for his next contract. No, and he I never wants, blame you him. Know, he tries back. to get the most money as, yes. as as possible because it will probably be his his only really big contract. Yeah, I I've always said that, and you can't do this because you know these guys kind of play positionless football at this point uh, for some of them, but. There almost should be a completely different contractual rule for running backs than there is for any other position. Because the, the lifespan of a top running back in the NFL is so short compared to what the other positions can be because of the beating that you take. You know, the constant pounding that you take, you just don't have as long of a career producing at a high level. So when you think about a running back, especially one taken in the first round, and if you're not familiar with the rules, it's a little inside baseball, but if you're taken in the first round of the NFL draft, the team has you for a minimum of five years. It's a four-year deal with a fifth-year rookie option that the, the club has the right to exercise or not, and then they can franchise tag you for a year or two if they want to, if they can't come to a contractual agreement with you. So running back careers, if they go 10 years, it's a lot. That means you can potentially play seven years before you play with some security. That's hard. No other position has, if you're a top-notch player, as short a lifespan as running back of performing at that top-notch level. And the guys that are making the financial decisions, they know it. Right? They know that Saquon Barkley only has so much of a shelf life or Zeke Elliott or Derrick Henry or any of these guys. So that's why it's the rare running back that can do it for more than 10 years. At this point, if you draft a quarterback, you're, you're assuming if he's really good, he's going to be your quarterback for 10 years. Hell, at this point, you're thinking you're going to be a, you're running back potentially uh, your quarterback for at least 15 years. Those guys are going to get four contracts potentially out of you before they're done with their career. At least three. Running backs are lucky if they get one really big one after their rookie deal is up. So that's why, to me, anytime a running back, like a really good one, holds out for as much money as he can get early in his career, some other guys you could say are, you know, being selfish or, or uh, 
you know, maybe thinking a little too highly of themselves or overrating their value. I, I never think that with running backs because I think running backs are, you know, are, are in a totally different category in terms of how important they are when they're really good and then what their career longevity is. Let's get Richard in Manhattan, who has been patient, up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Richard. Bob, coaches have a shorter shelf life than running backs. Well, sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Hey, Bob, you know, I was thinking about Tom Brady. And I, what he did last year, in all my years of watching sports, with the exception of the 69 Mets, what that did to New York City, but what he did, Tom Brady, last year, is the most amazing. I'll put it above the Olympics in 1980, the hockey team. What he did, leaving a team and going to another team, and new teammates, new coach, new city, new environment, and winning a Super Bowl, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But, you know, I'm thinking of Brady. Now, listen how, how symmetrical this. The game that made Brady famous was the January 2000 playoff game against Oakland, the Tuck game, right? Now, what happened in that game? He was kind of famous before that, but yeah, go ahead. Ah, But he didn't make the name for himself. That game made the name. All right. right. Oakland has fourth and inch, fourth and six, uh, fourth and a half a yard. Now, I know Parcells in his day always went for it because if he knew one play could win the game, that was it. If Oakland gets the first down, the game is over. But I think Gruden was the coach of Oakland. What does he do? He punts the ball to Brady. Brady gets the ball. Now, Brady wasn't Brady then. He comes down, and they win the Vidiero or Vitorino, hits the field goal, and they win the game. Now, go all the way down 19, 20 years later, the Super Bowl. The Green Bay coach on 4th and seven elect to give the ball back to Brady. He had 19 years to figure out you do not let Brady have the ball with a chance to either win it or slow the game away. That was my only criticism to the Green Bay coach. He should have known if, and, and the circumstances were different both times, but both times the game ended with the ball in Brady's hand. So for that, that coach should have been fired, the Green Bay coach. Because <laughs> well, that might be, Richard, thanks for the call. That might be a little bit overboard firing him, and they did get to a championship game, but... Look, you don't have to ever talk to anyone that has called every snap of Jets football during Tom Brady's career or any Jets fan that's watched him to know that giving the ball back to Tom Brady with the game on the line in the last four or five minutes of any game is bad strategy. Everything I'm saying is great. There you go. Trusting your defense against Tom Brady is trusting the wrong. You have a much better chance, you're right, of trusting Aaron Rodgers to make a play for you and not kicking a field goal than you do of giving Tom Brady a chance to burn you. I completely agree. All right, I think Hassan and Orange are going to give it another shot. Hassan. Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm here. All right, good. This is your Hello? chance. We're going to give you another chance. Go ahead. Uh, thanks a lot. Hey, this is my first time calling, too. Uh, you know, I, I, I just wanted to comment on the um, the last comment you were talking about, Saquon letting him uh, wait about four five weeks after, I mean, um during the season well, not wait, but build up right like start at the beginning of the season on a pitch count and then see how he tolerates it as the first month of the season goes by kind of the way you do in preseason football but with him i'm almost waiting for the regular season to do that if i'm the giants i think he should be ready to go first game like the um uh, the first game of the season i understand you can't let him all uh, sit 
you know, doing preseason. But let him get a little, a little, a little hits in. You know what I mean? To get his, get his body. He forget he's been out for what the beginning since last year. Yeah, I'm telling you, they're you not doing that. They're not doing that. They're not playing him in preseason games. Not off of that injury. Not ju- he just came back and just started practicing this week. I'm telling you, he's not doing that. They're crazy if they do. All right, it, like Ladanian Tomlinson. I remember, you know. When the Jets, at one point, I think the Jets played a preseason game, if I remember right, uh, in San Diego. And I remember going out there and seeing Ladanian Tomlinson warm up and stand on the sideline and realizing he wasn't going to play. And then I looked back and realized he hadn't played in the preseason in like five years. If you go back and look at when Ladanian Tomlinson was really in the heart of his career with the Chargers when they were in San Diego, and he was there their franchise running back, he went like six years without touching the ball, without seeing the field in the preseason. There's only so many hits those guys can take. That's when they're healthy. There's only so many hits they can take. Coming off of the kind of injury he had, there's no chance a week after he's at practice I'm putting him out there on Saturday night. And I think the last of the three preseason games, I think most teams this year will probably approach it like they've approached the fourth preseason game in the past. I bet nobody plays in the last preseason game. Or if they do play, they play like a series and they're done. So I'm t- I think the majority of guys are not going to see the field for much of the preseason, at least the top-notch guys. I mean, I think they're, they'll take these three preseason games, get a sweat in. Maybe the second one they'll play like the first half. But I'm expecting... You know, even the guys that are healthy to have a reduced workload because they know how grueling even now a 17-game season is going to be. And Saquon Barkley, he is not seeing the field if if I'm in charge of any football team coming off his injury, how important he is to my third-year quarterback and kind of the crucible year of his development. I can't afford to lose him again. You're listening to Bob Weshusen on 98.7 ESPN.